Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Media Sandwich. It's a podcast where some guy tells you what's going on in uh, pop culture and the entertainment industries that you, apparently, that you love enough to listen to some guy talk about. And who's that guy? I'm that guy. I'm the guy. I'm the guy! Uh, I'm Kyle Martinak, and that's who I am. Just some guy. Uh, (laughs) Let's talk about some news! Let's talk about some video game news. Uh, Yeah, to begin, Ubisoft has canceled three games, three unnamed games. They wouldn't tell us which ones. And they also delayed their open world pirate game, Skull and Bones, yet again. Um, I only heard about Skull and Bones a few weeks ago. You can hear me get excited about Skull and Bones just a couple of weeks ago on this very show because I'm learning about it for the first time. It's a really cute little bit of me being like, what? An open world pirate game? That sounds amazing. I would love to play that. Uh, I'm gonna have to wait much longer because Skull and Bones has been delayed yet again. It was supposed to, their latest, uh, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, they played release date shuffle, uh, and they said, okay, so Skull and Bones is going to come out like in March of 2023. And that's not happening. Again, I say again, yet again, because this game has been in development hell for a decade now. If you have not, if you have not been, if you're like me, you're woefully uninformed because you listen to me and this podcast. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Skull and Bones first began life as an Assassin's Creed Black Flag expansion back in 2013. So it is a decade old project that has changed so much. It's like the ship of Theseus. It is not the same thing at all that it used to be. The only thing that remains is the fact that it's a pirate-premised game. Um, At one point, it was going to be an MMO, kind of like Sea of Thieves. Uh, Yeah, and and it's not that anymore either. Uh, We've gotten one cinematic uh, teaser for it that's not gameplay footage, obviously, because... The gameplay itself has changed so many times. It's basically, it's starting to sound like this game might be the next Duke Nukem Forever, if you remember that one. I have a wonderful Duke Nukem Forever story. Um, Because I was a Duke Nukem fan. The, The original Duke Nukem 3D, that was like the game that I played on the family PC in the family computer room. Uh, Making myself sound very old here. Uh, I played that probably a little younger than I should have. And, you know, I got super into Duke Nukem because I was like, this is great. It's kind of, you know, riffing on Evil Dead. It's kind of riffing on uh, They Live. It's kind of, you know, uh, and then Schwarzenegger. So it's it's a bunch of things. It's cool. Uh, And then I realized it's not cool. It's, you know, making fun of things that are supposedly cool. It's it's playing up like a goofy uh, idea of what coolness is. But I thought it was fairly clever. Uh, (laughs) And then I, you know, follow the saga of Duke Nukem Forever for the better part of a decade. And then uh, right about the time that Chris and I started working for The Escapist, uh, we went to PAX, PAX Prime. Uh, Now, I think, is that called PAX West now? I don't know. It was PAX Prime at the time in Seattle. And we went, this is like 2011, and there was a huge line all the way around the place for the Duke Nukem uh, exhibit, the Duke Nukem uh, uh, tent that was 
uh, from those lovely folks at uh, Gearbox, because Gearbox had was the latest company to have bought out Duke Nukem Forever, and then, you know, sliced and diced it into a million pieces and put it back together again as something totally different than what it was uh, the last time somebody bought it and sliced it up. Like, that game had gone through five different iterations over the course of a decade. It went so far in so many different directions, trying to, you know, chase the trends uh, of what a first-person shooter was over the course of those uh, years. So at one point, that game became very Halo, uh, which is why you're limited to two guns at once, which is ridiculous. Uh, At one point, it started adopting Call of Duty, which is why instead of a health bar or anything, you just, like, get the redness... Uh, you know, around your eyes, which, you know, eventually, if you don't die, it just kind of cools down and then you're fine again, because that's from Call of Duty. Uh, And then at one point during the big craze of, hey, everything has to be a third person shooter with like a chest high wall that you can take cover behind. Suddenly that became very uh, integral to the game. And then they took it out. It was the game was a fucking mess uh if you've never played duke nukem forever first of all don't uh don't ever because not only is that game terrible not only is it uh borderline unplayable the way they took duke nukem which if you go back and and you know take a look at the old duke nukem it's making fun of itself like it's it's supposed to be ridiculous And Duke Nukem Forever kind of takes it seriously in a disturbing and alarming way. Like, they, it's almost like they didn't understand that Duke Nukem is a joke. Um, And that makes Duke Nukem really mean-spirited and disgusting. And there's a whole lot of, like, leftover pop culture remnants. uh, Like, the the main female quote-unquote characters of Duke Nukem Forever are basically a thinly veiled version of the Olsen twins, like right at the point where they turned 18 and the internet was like creepily checking in on when they turned 18. Uh, Yeah, basically so that Duke Nukem can have sex with twins. It's so disgusting. Like I, I ended up buying Duke Nukem Forever eventually from GameStop for $2 and I kind of feel like I got ripped off. That game... Uh, not only was it disgusting and not in a silly and fun way, not only was it like hilariously broken, it was like, it wasn't even like, it didn't have that bad movie fun, fun, bad movie thing about it. It was, you know, fun, bad games. I'm not really sure if there is a fun, bad game. Yeah. Duke Nukem Forever. I I remember going into that tent after waiting in line for a long ass time and, uh, head of gearbox, uh, I, I forget that dude's name, Randy, Randy Pitchford. Uh, he's in there and he's so excited and he's, he is such a great pitch man. Oddly enough, uh, his name is appropriate. He pitches you on how cool Duke Nukem Forever is, and then you get to sit down and play like 10 minutes of it, and it was god-awful. And you're like, well, this is just like a tech demo of a game that, oh, oh, this game is almost out. This game is coming out in like three months. Oh, shit. And, uh, yeah, it was really bad. And then I remember very distinctly Duke Nukem Forever, the, the reviews of it came out the same day the reviews of the 2011, uh, 
Green Lantern movie, the Ryan Reynolds, Martin Campbell, Green Lantern movie. Those two things that I was really looking forward to both came out the same day and were both declared absolute structure fires. And I was just like, well, this, uh, this sucks. This is a bad day. Bad day for, for Kyle and his uh, pop culture leanings. But yeah, uh, kind of sounds like uh, kind of sounds like Skull and Bones uh, is is that for this decade. Um, yeah, go ahead, go to Wikipedia and look up Duke Nukem Forever and read that horrible saga. Also, another game that you should take a look at, type in Raven's Cry. Just if you've never heard of that one, another, another thing that I got to see a little demo of at PAX because I was, because I had a press badge at the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, read up on both of those games and their, uh, let's say Troubles and that's kind of my worst case scenario for what Skull and Bones sounds like it might be. Um, yeah, if it ever gets released, there's no way it's going to live up to the hype that they built up for it. And it might just have a lot of remnants of like relics of long dead trends in game development when it does. And that's just plain no good. But anyway, that's all beside the point. Uh, that's all to say that Ubisoft... Yeah, they they delayed a bunch of games, including that one. They canceled a bunch of games, including that one. They're having a rough uh, first quarter of calendar year 2023. It's not the first quarter of their fiscal year. Their fiscal year starts in, like, March. But, uh, yeah, they're citing a lot of things as the reason why this is happening. Uh, very, they were very caught by surprise by the underperformance of that Mario plus Rabbids 2 uh, which came out over the holidays, the marketing push for it was medium, I would say. It was, it was, it was, you know, mid, as the kids say. I saw ads for Mario plus Rabbids too. Uh, Spark of Hope, right? That's what it's called. I, I didn't hear a dang thing about that game from marketing push all the way through release. Basically, all I've heard about it is stay away because it's not great Bob. Uh, and then, meanwhile, Just Dance 2023 came out and also underperformed, which makes sense, because I'm sitting here going, they're still making Just Dance? Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. I genuinely didn't. Um, but yeah, those are the reasons why they're shaking things up. That, and they also cited the industry's shift towards, I'm quoting this, mega brands and long-lasting titles. In other words, games that are becoming subscription services that continue on past their release date. You know, the the commodification of an ongoing service brand. Things like Fort, Fortnite. I can't emphasize enough how Fortnite has kind of ruined video games uh, as, as, you know, as a viable piece of media rather than just a crappy product. Because that's the way... That's the way the wind is blowing is you release a game and then you keep releasing content updates and patches and and season passes and all that bullshit so that you can squeeze every last nickel out of that game for the next five years plus uh, rather than focus on creating new IP that might be new and interesting and exciting. And why would we screw around with that when we can just keep you know, plugging crap into this game until it stops making money. Ahem, 
you notice how Rockstar games, they used to come out with like a friggin gigantic possible masterpiece every two or three years. And now they did one. They did one in the last like five years. And uh, beyond that, it's just been allocating all their resources towards making sure GTA Online is still financially viable. And that's kind of what Ubisoft is doing. They're realizing uh, the only things that we should be focusing on are our main brands, like Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, and then Tom Clancy games, like The Division and... uh, What's the other one that they do? What's the other one? Um, I, I genuinely can't even remember. There's so many Tom Clancy games, but... Yeah, yeah, um, that, that, it seems to be the way the wind is blowing in the industry, uh, particularly around the AAA games, uh, it's more about the service thing. Anyway, um, let's get off of that, let's get on to, yeah, another kind of pissy piece of news. This isn't a video game news story, but it's a big story and involves gaming. If you haven't heard, or you haven't, or you have heard, but you just don't know the context, or the controversy. Uh, this last week was a real sucky week to be a tabletop RPG enthusiast, uh, especially Dungeons and Dragons. Wizards of the Coast, the company that publishes D&D, uh, which is owned by Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast is owned by Hasbro, uh, they were apparently going to draft new language for their OGL, the open gaming license that's been in place on D&D since they released the third edition some like 20 years ago, I want to say. Uh, If you don't know what I'm talking about, the OGL is basically a piece of legal language stating that the gaming system that D&D is based on can be used for the purposes of building new tabletop games. This is how Pathfinder was made possible. It's why it's perfectly legal to create a homebrew tabletop RPG using elements of the system that normally would be under copyright protection. And it's also, very importantly, it protects folks in our new digital landscape from being sued for streaming or publishing their actual play adventures or their cosplays or developing virtual tabletop platforms to be used with the system, such as Roll20. But on December 20th, Wizards of the Coast tried to float a new draft of the OGL, which basically revoked that protection for everything and install... They wanted to install a royalty requirement. Essentially, you'd be you'd be required to report your OGL-related earnings to Wizards of the Coast, like they were the fantasy IRS, and if you made more than a certain amount, which was a lot, it was like six figures, like 750 grand, if you made more than that, you'd have to give 25% of it to Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro as a royalty for using their system. Very different from what OGL was before. It's kind of the opposite of what it was before. And it predictably didn't sit well with the community. And there was a whole lot of people vowing to leave the game entirely. There were calls to cancel subscription to D&D Beyond, the paid online version of the game, which, I mean, that overwhelmed the website, and it was a really, really bad couple of days. Listen, again, I'm a guy who doesn't know a whole lot about anything. But I did study public relations in university. I even took a class on crisis communication. And my professor of that course would probably call this situation a powder keg. Well, anyway, on this last Friday, Wizards gave a statement 
where they first gave a bunch of excuses for what the hell they were thinking and doing this. Kind of like Ubisoft, right? Ubisoft's like, we canceled a bunch of shit. But here's why. It's really the fault of the, the rest of the industry. Wizards of the Coast did kind of the same thing, where they were like, uh, yeah, don't worry about it. This was only proposed language developed for feedback, and we've got your feedback, and your feedback is... Fuck you. Uh, so we got that feedback. <laughs> but they also said, oh, this was created with the goal of protecting the property from discriminatory or hateful conduct of OGL creators. Uh, okay. By making them pay in order to use it, I guess? Uh, or something? That doesn't really penalize those people or keep them out of the 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 property it just kind of makes a fiscal partnership with them but uh they also said oh well it was only meant to affect large corporations and not individual dms homebrewing a game or something like that it was it was to keep an eye on uh crazy corporations and and also a lot of people who are trying to build up some kind of nft and blockchain related game uh th that kind of thing was cropping up so this was supposed to tamp down on that a little bit they did a full court press on their good intentions with this new language, and then they said, and I quote here, However, it's clear from the reaction that we rolled a one. And you know what? There are times to be cute with your press statements, and this probably wasn't one of those times. Anyway, they appear to be backing off from writing legal trapdoors to ensnare their own customers and their own fan community, they, they basically said, we're going to back off from a lot of these ideas. We're going to go back to the drawing board and figure this out. Oh, great. What a world. It's complicated times we're living in where you might have to have a background in copyright litigation just to make sure you can get eaten by a gelatinous cube with your friends. What a bunch of bullshit. Anyway, let's talk about another bunch of bullshit. The movie industry. Actually, I don't have a lot to talk about with the movie industry this week. It's kind of a it's kind of a down week. It's it's January after all, right? Um, and in January, what do we do? We go see Avatar two for the third or fourth time, apparently, because that movie still raked in like thirty million dollars this last week or something like that in its fifth week domestically. Wow. Uh, yeah, but, you know, we got, uh, you know, a horror movie and an action movie, and I'm sure we'll remember those movies when their sequels come straight to Netflix in a couple of years or something. But a big thing that did happen this week on social media that's adjacent to the movie industry, everyone had a good hearty laugh at Gina Carano and Ben Shapiro, whose little Western movie called uh, Terror on the Prairie uh, allegedly made about $13,000 total in its limited theatrical release. Now, I want to emphasize, uh, in my fair and balanced news reporting that I'm doing here, I could not find how many screens this movie actually released on or for how long. Being a movie created for the Daily Wire, it was naturally going to be a, a video on demand and streaming release first and foremost, so the theatrical numbers are kind of not really an indicator of the movie's success or failure, honestly. Uh, it's it's fine to laugh at them. I did. But I think it's important to actually acknowledge that making $13,000 at the box office isn't 
you know, nearly as funny when you think, oh, it was probably on like two screens for one week or something like that. You know, it's 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 not it's not as if it was it was Black Adam. Right. Um, But anyways, uh, don't worry. Don't worry, because the Daily Wire's target audiences gave it another indicator of how badly it failed. Lots of one star reviews calling it woke feminist agenda garbage. Why? Because, you know, the lead character is a capable woman who wins deadly fights against men. Whoops. <laughs> Tiny miscalculation in what your shit-given audience would want from a movie like this, apparently. Uh, so that's funny, too. But honestly, when Gina Carano went on a tweeting bender trying to claw back at everyone making fun of her for this, she really misses the point, because everyone's main talking point is like, Hey! Gina, you were poised to become a gigantic star with your face on lunchboxes and shit. They were going to write novels and comics about your character. You would definitely have been in Fortnite. (laughs) And instead, instead of just finding a limit to the stupid, uninformed opinions spewing out of your trap or the tips of your tapping fingies, you decided to toss all of that in the trash to make this schlocky piece of shit with Ben Shapiro. All valid points. Her response, predictably, was a whole lot of free speech posturing. A whole lot of, no, 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 I'm not a loser. I actually won, because I'm no longer muzzled by the woke hive mind, etc. Um, the world we live in now. (laughs) This is the world we live in. Uh, I know we all have at least one opinion that the vast majority of everybody else would call stupid or shitty. Think about it for a second. Uh, let's do an exercise. Close your eyes, unless you're driving or some shit. Uh, <laughs> close your eyes. Think of your worst opinion. Think of the opinion you secretly have that you're too hesitant to tell everyone because you're afraid you might be shouted down. Now imagine someone telling you, all you have to do is not ever tweet that opinion or say it publicly, and you'll be rewarded with fame and fortune. Adoration, even. Little girls dressing up for you as Halloween. Uh, having your own action figures. All you have to do is be good at your job, which I maintain Gina Carano was good on The Mandalorian. Uh, People try to retroactively slam her for being a bad actress, but honestly, I liked her enough in Haywire. She was developing a fun character on Mandalorian that I liked. I've got a Cara Dune Funko Pop right above my head right now on a shelf. Uh... I like that character. I just rewatched because I'm rewatching before season three uh, drops. And no, it's good stuff. She's good in it. Um, it's a good character, too. Um, yeah. So all you have to do is be good at your job and keep some of your kooky ideas to yourself. Not even all of them. Some of them. The ones that are most objectionable or at least the ones that damage the brand the most. Now imagine being offered that deal and saying, ugh, you mean you want to censor me? I mean, regardless of political differences or political opinions, I would lose my job if I was prioritizing my social media persona over my actual work. Honestly, I I really wish they would just recast Cara Dune. It's a good character. I think trying to erase that character from existence now is really throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Disney severed ties with Gina Carano because she was damaging the brand with her nonsense, and they basically let the value that she was threatening evaporate anyway. 
I say recast it. Recast it. It's fine. We, the audience, we can handle that. You did it for War Machine. You did it for Bruce Banner twice. And we were fine. Katie Holmes was replaced by Maggie Gyllenhaal, and I was delighted. <laughs> uh, just recast. Just recast and give me a show about a space sheriff, damn you. I was going to eat that shit up and you threw it away. Anyhow. Speaking of Star Wars. Speaking of Star Wars. We're going to move on to comics, because that was really all I had for movies. Really nothing. Um, in comic book news, uh, it was MLK Day yesterday when I planned to record this. Uh, but we should touch on, hey, guess what's coming up? is Black History Month. So, another comic book variant cover roundup that's inspired by a month dedicated to celebrating our different heritage. Don't worry, it's not DC this time. Nary a bag of tamales in sight. <laughs> Boy, that was weird, wasn't it? <laughs> um, anyway, this time it's Marvel, and it's Black History Month, as I said, uh, in February. So they chose, interestingly, to go with Star Wars to celebrate their black characters. And I say interestingly because of the long-standing joke that up until less than ten years ago, Star Wars only had, like, one black character total. I'm not even sure if they're double-dipping and putting Donald Glover Lando and Billy D. Williams Lando on two different covers. That's certainly a possibility, because they don't have a ton of black characters. Um... I don't think they are doing that, no. Uh, Donald Glover Lando is on one, but I think Billy Dee isn't. Uh, it's 2023, so Star Wars has up to four or five black characters now, right? A little bit more than that. Um, anyways, a terrific cover artist named Mateus uh, Manhanini is actually debuting ten covers over the course of the month. So ten different characters, uh, all done by that one artist, uh, Finn gets a cover. Mace Windu is here. Grief Karga, my boy from the Afro the aforementioned Mandalorian. Love Grief Karga. Uh, Grief Karga. Can't say his name apparently. I can't say shit today. Uh, Janna from Rise of Skywalker. If you remember her, most of us don't. Period. But uh, hey, I would read some comic books about her. Um, by the way, speaking of comic books, because that's what we're talking about. But uh, Keeve Trennis the lead character from the High Republic comic book series. If you've ever gotten into the High Republic stuff, it's very good. The comic books and the novels, the High Republic uh, push in Star Wars in 2021 and 2022, it's very good, and they're entering their next era with that. But Keeve Trennis gets her own uh, cover. Uh, Santa Staros, who's a breakout character from the Marvel flagship Star Wars comic book title, uh, also gets hers. The February 1st issue is actually a debut of a five-issue uh, miniseries based on Santa Starro. So that's going to be her uh, her cover. She's actually a great character. That I'm really glad that Marvel did do such a great job with the comics for Star Wars since taking over from Dark Horse. Because there's a little bit of something for everybody. You can follow the main flagship series that's, you know, Han, Luke, and Leia, and a couple of other characters surrounding their adventures. You can follow Darth Vader. His has a little bit more edge to it, a little more angst to it. Uh, Dr. Aphra is kind of cool. She's almost like, she's got kind of like a, a anti-hero Indiana Jones feel to her in Star Wars, which is pretty cool. 
And then there's great one shots. There's War of the Bounty Hunters was a really cool mini series that happened uh, maybe last summer or was maybe the summer before. But there are a bunch of different ways that Star Wars can can sate your your comic book pleasures. Uh, and they're not shy about it. They're not shy about it. we're going to run this many books at the same time. And look at this. Ten covers all with different characters. So, you know, I stand corrected. We do actually have a lot more black characters now in Star Wars than we did, again, like 10 years ago only. Most of the characters I just listed didn't exist before 2015. So, uh, yeah, I mean, hey, I like most of these characters, so that would be a pretty cool thing. I, I haven't collected comic books, like physical comic books, in quite a while. I basically had to stop when my kids were born. Uh, but I did because our <laughs> our water heater blew out a couple of weeks ago. Um, we ended up having to bring all the boxes of books out of the closet where the water heater was. Brought out my long box of comic books. And I'm like, wow, look at all of this. This is gold, gold, I tell you. And it kind of got that itch started again on my back of maybe I should collect an entire series or something. And then this news actually got me thinking, wow, 10 10 covers, 10 variant covers over the course of a month. I mean, only, you know, about $5 each, I think, is how much comic books cost anymore. I might be able to swing that. That'd be a really cool thing to collect is get all of the get all of these variant covers for this uh, this Black History Month celebration that they're doing at Marvel. And honestly, this is just a much better way of doing this than, say, DC did for uh, Latin American Appreciation Month, or whichever month that was, where it was like, here's all of our Hispanic characters. Cool. Here they are with all their favorite authentic Hispanic foods. Okay. Okay. Again, go back and listen to me rant about that uh, a couple of, couple of months back, but this seems a lot more elegant. It seems like a much smarter idea is get one artist who's doing this as kind of a series, and that's going to make it like a cool united collection when the month is over with. So I like that. I want to get into that. Anyway, that's all I had for comics. I just thought that was kind of a cool thing happening, uh, which moves us on to TV, and then we're out of here. And TV, we've got a couple of things that we uh, got to go over. A couple of... Th ugh, boy, um... And, well, boy, what can I say? Let's get something nasty out of the way. I sure wish last week that I had not suggested that anyone play High on Life, the video game from Squanch Games that features Justin Roiland. Because only several days later, it felt like hours later, I'd be informed that back in 2020, Justin Roiland was accused of felony charges for both domestic battery and false imprisonment. Because of course. Because of course. How could we, how could we go longer than six months? without hearing about another guy in the entertainment industry that I kind of, you know, dig his work, turning out to be a major creep. Uh, it's impossible. Um, yeah, so this sucks. Um, all the reports make a specific mention of the fact that the false imprisonment charge is phrased as being false imprisonment by menace, violence, fraud, and or deceit. So that sounds less like he, you know, taped somebody to a chair. Sounds more like he kind of manipulated somebody into not leaving when they wanted to or something. Uh, person who filed the complaint against him 
also has a restraining order against him with the court ordering that he stay at least 100 feet away from them. Also, he had to surrender any firearms that he owns. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't exactly sound like, uh, you know, a lover's quarrel that's been blown out of proportion, does it? It sounds like something a court had to tell him to surrender his firearms for. So anyway, we the public don't know jack shit about anything on this, and I'm not going to pretend to or speculate. Uh, I'll just say this. I like Rick and Morty. I've enjoyed that show over the last few years, even if I can't really enjoy talking about that show because the nature of conversations surrounding it is so relentlessly shitty. Uh, I'm a Star Wars fan, so I'm used to that position. Like I say, I'm a Star Wars fan, but not the scary kind. I'm a Rick and Morty fan, but not the Szechuan kind, I guess. Uh, But if you told me four years ago that the guy who created Rick Sanchez turned out to be unstable, possibly possessive and manipulative to a violent degree in a relationship, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not that surprised, just dismayed. Um, wah, wah. I, I mean, I can't pretend to be surprised anymore when this shit happens. The surprise has been leaked out of me over the last, you know, seven years or so. It's just, uh, yeah. This is going to affect a lot of people's jobs, too. People who work on both of his shows, both Rick and Morty and Solar Opposites, uh, the people working on that video game, uh, future on- ongoing projects. There was one project. I saw the, an ad for a new show that had his name plastered all over it uh, as, as an exec producer, And that ad came out like the day after this news came out. And I was like, wow, somebody's going to get fired over that ad alone. Uh, Yeah. Wait. Wow. Just wow. I don't have anything clever or smart to say about it other than. (sighs) It's just so exhausting to hear that kind of shit anymore, isn't it? I mean. It's exhausting to know how many people who are so good at entertaining us are such terrible pieces of shit. Um, in other TV news, Paramount announced that they're doing a Dungeons and Dragons TV series, which I mean, yeah, Paramount's doing that Dungeons and Dragons movie that's coming out in March. I keep talking about it because I really like it. I really like the looks of it. I want to have a silly fun time in a Dungeons and Dragons, uh, adventure and they're like, hey, we're also doing a TV show, which is not uh, related to the movie at all. It's its own separate thing, which, okay, interesting. Uh, and a lot of the outlets reporting on it are like, uh, there's no indication of whether this is going to be just a straight up like fantasy realm adventure. Like, here's the characters and here they are going on an adventure. Or if it's also going to have a real world component. And I'm like, what's that mean? Real world component. And they mean, is it going to flash to, like, a bunch of people sitting around a table playing Dungeons & Dragons? And then those same outlets started citing, like, Stranger Things as the cause for the uptick in uh, Dungeons & Dragons content that's been all over pop culture recently. Uh, It's really weird how Stranger Things is taking so much credit for the sudden mainstream popularity of tabletop RPGs like D&D when things like Critical Role exist or, you know, actual play podcasts became a thing. 
a couple of years before Stranger Things did. Uh, it's almost like the people whose job it is to only watch television only watch television. But yeah, Stranger Things, I would not say is a major reason why Dungeons and Dragons is becoming a thing among the Utes. I think it's probably the new media, quote unquote new media, even though it's well over a decade old at this point. YouTube, podcasts, and Twitch are the reasons why Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop RPGs have become a lot more mainstream and popular. That's my that's my hypothesis. Uh, I don't think Stranger Things is the reason behind it, because Stranger Things isn't even a show about Dungeons and Dragons, really. But whatever. Uh, the main thing to remember here is that Paramount's making a Dungeons and Dragons branded uh, television show, and they announced it just in time for all this OGL stuff that we talked about earlier to really, really make some bad headlines for the D&D brand. So, <laughs> yay. Yay for bad corporate synergy, I guess. That's j- just seems to be the thing that's happening a lot. Uh, Justin Roiland's thing happened just as the video game comes out and apparently some new show. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons has a whole bunch of stuff coming out just as their fan community revolts against them. This is great. This is all going great. This is fine. This is all fine. Uh, <laughs> anyway, what else happened in TV? Well, HBO Max had a banner friggin' week, didn't they? Uh, the Last of Us premiered just the other night. An 80-minute pilot episode starting with a 30-minute prologue. Big. Uh, big, expensive show. Um, Bella Ramsey... Uh, who plays Ellie in the show, uh, was called Credibly American in one review I read, which is, uh, okay. <laughs> I, I haven't seen the show, but calling her Credibly American is sounds like kind of a backhanded compliment. Uh, Pedro Pascal was praised for being as grizzled and haunted as he is. Really seems like the show is trying something, uh, you know, trying to be a faithful adaptation, but also... It's kind of going for a tone from what I've read and from what I've seen. A good amalgamation of what The Walking Dead achieved, but also kind of what HBO's Chernobyl really captured everybody's imagination that uh, that month or two when it was airing. Because uh, uh, The Last of Us is uh, created by one of the guys in charge of Chernobyl, along with uh, another guy who I believe comes from the video game. But yeah, a lot of dark, gory action and desperate survival and, you know, uh, serialized uh, storyline stuff that The Walking Dead made such hay out of for the last 10 years. But also like a really practical look into the society that allows such a complete breakdown to occur and what would happen on a political level, a a sociological level, if we all suddenly just had to deal with a fungal zombie endemic. Uh yeah, I mean, how far into Mad Max territory would we go while still technically having a functioning government is a question that that pilot, from what I've read, kind of answers a little bit. But that's interesting. It sounds like an interesting show. My HBO has been on the fritz. I'm not sure what's wrong with it. So that's my first uh, assignment is to watch some of that as soon as I get it back. But it looks really good. Uh, my kids refuse to get back into a pre-holiday bedtime, though, so I have no way of watching it unless I stay up until 2 a.m., which 
I stay up until 2 a.m. I'm going to have some bad dreams about about mushroom men trying to eat me or some shit. Uh, but anyway, on the other end of the spectrum, HBO also dropped two episodes of their adult animated series, Velma. Uh, Velma, the brainchild of Mindy Kaling, and also apparently a foul-mouthed, violent, snappy, talky-talk take on the Scooby-Doo gang. Uh, yeah. Now here's my thing about Scooby-Doo. I don't know why I feel this way, but I really react poorly to any fresh, new, upside-down take on Scooby-Doo. On on the Scooby-Doo setup. Sometimes I love it when they take a classic and fuck around with it, but Scooby-Doo is one of those things that I, I just, I don't know. I don't know if you can do that. You can play with the conventions of classic Scooby-Doo in a more modern context, absolutely. I thought, this might lose me abrasive followers, I thought a pup named Scooby-Doo was kind of brilliant for what it was, mixing together like that Door the Explorer and Blue's Clues interactive mystery, like looking at the looking at the audience and saying, you help us find the clue kind of thing. Uh, mixing that with the kind of ironic wink at the formula of the old Scooby series, like it kind of felt like a mixture of that, you know, young toddler Dora the Explorer stuff with kind of the more modern Hanna-Barbera, like the, the cartoon network, the cartoon cartoons like Dexter's Laboratory or, uh, uh, you know, Cow and Chicken. That was an interesting mix, and I think it worked really well. Uh, I also thought Mystery Incorporated was a very smart, clever reboot of the mythos of Scooby-Doo, kind of mixing it up with like a Buffy and Supernatural Monster of the Week kind of thing, but also putting in a little bit of Lost, that, you know, mystery box kind of feel to it. You know, the Mystery of the Week kind of progresses an ongoing plot and the relationship dynamics of the characters. It felt... Very modern, but it kind of fit those characters so well. And the aesthetic, oh man, Mystery Incorporated is an absolutely gorgeous looking piece of animation too. Uh, it was really a great one. I love that show. Find that one. Uh, I think that one's on like Netflix or something. But anyway, Kaling's uh, Velma series. To me, it feels a lot like somebody watched the Harley Quinn animated series and said, well, what else have we got that could fit this concept? And they took all the wrong lessons from the Harley Quinn show and put them in the Scooby-Doo universe, uh, which is wrong. Because the thing is, if you did a Batman animated series the way the Harley Quinn show is, it wouldn't work. Because Batman is not a character who cusses and talks about his dick and, you know like beats somebody within an inch of their lives and shit like well i mean he does do that <laughs> but you know you know what i mean like you can't take a batman animated series and make it a foul mouth like hard r comedy with a bunch of sex jokes and shit like that you can do that with the joker and harley quinn absolutely can you do it with the scooby gang no i mean you can do it for like a minute or two if anybody remembers Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, you can do that for about a minute or two, and it gets stale so quickly that you have to smash cut to something else. Um, but that's what this show seems to be. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know about this. Remember a few years ago when somebody randomly made that Velma and Daphne live-action teen movie? Like, it was just the two of them, and it was kind of a buddy movie they were solving 
a mystery in the school or something like that. I didn't see it mostly because I'm just not the target audience for that. Uh, but then again, if not me, an old person who remembers what Scooby-Doo is, then who were preteens the target audience for that? With the Velma series, it's kind of the same thing. I think a lot of people have been put off by how in-your-face and mean-spirited it looks. A lot of people online really didn't like the first couple episodes. I'm sure the writer's room had a great time coming up with the idea that, like, Fred's dick is so tiny and it's a recurring gag or whatever, but I don't need that. I don't need to know something, like, I don't need something like Scooby-Doo to go into that place of mean-spirited, like, attack comedy on each character. And besides that, I already have the Venture Brothers, which, frankly, is a much more clever and original version of whatever this is attempting, the kind of taking the piss out of what Scooby-Doo was. The Venture Brothers is more like Johnny Quest, I realize, but it's kind of the same thing where it's, like... You have to understand what about the original series is kind of funny in a modern context and then run with that. You can't just take the characters and, you know, tweak them to fit the personalities of your expensive cast and then just make it a sitcom where everybody's like pissed off at each other all the time. That's not really fun. That 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 alienates people who actually like the old stuff and people who have no idea what the old stuff is are looking at it going why should i give a shit you know also just some weird casting decisions too uh yeah i'm 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 super not into velma i from from what i've heard it's it's very mean spirited almost some somebody uh, a good friend of mine was like this almost seems like it was designed to drum up negative reactions online like manufacturing outrage on twitter and and uh social media and whatnot so if that's the case it it worked because velma got a lot of views and it instantly got a season two meanwhile they canceled a bunch of really great shows in order to pay for a second season of velma great grand wonderful but we still got The Last of Us, so there's that, I guess. Uh, I'm sure that'll end up getting as many seasons as we're allowed to get of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they took the Westworld uh, bank account and used that on The Last of Us, and then all of the comedies that they've canceled went into Velma, so yeah. Yeah, I mean... They're trying over there at HBO. You got to give them that. They're putting they're putting money out there. They're spending money to make money. They're just not doing that whole, you know, making good shows part. Uh that's going to do it for this week. I'm sorry if this was a bit of a downer week. It kind of was. It's just a whole lot of whole lot of shit. This is a real shit sandwich. <laughs> But, uh, you know, maybe next week we'll yield some better news, some uh, more uplifting and fun news, some things that are... We've got a lot of great television still coming out this month. We've got plenty of month left where, I mean, we've got uh, Poker Face on Peacock is coming soon. That 90s show I've been very excited for, that's coming as well. Uh, maybe I'll do a recap of, of uh, one of the shows that I actually uh, like or that I, I think I'm going to like. Let's uh, let's reconvene next week and we'll talk about some better news, some better stuff, some stuff that's a little less infuriating, less dismaying, less disappointing, and uh, we'll have a better time about it. Let's be upbeat, damn it, it's a new year. Let's go into the new year with good energy, even though it kind of seems like we're going in with the same shitty energy. It's, it's kind of like it's 
it feels kind of like December 53rd today, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> uh, anyhow, until we do meet again next week, thank you so much for tuning in and hanging out as always. Uh, if you do enjoy the show, I really do appreciate you uh, hanging around and subscribing to the show uh, would be a big help. Reading and reviewing the show would be an even bigger help so that other people can maybe join the fun. And uh, if you if you do so, enjoy it uh, to the point where you just got to show me some, some love in return. Uh, I do have listener support engaged on our anchor.fm page. So you can go to anchor.fm slash media dash sandwich. You click on a button that's on there that says support the show. And you can uh, give me a little tip, little uh, tip, tip your waiters. Definitely tip your, your delivery people, please tip your delivery people. If you're done tipping all of them, maybe tip your, your down on his luck podcaster, just like a 99 cents a month kind of thing. If not, thank you so much for just being a listener. I love you guys so much for being a listener of the podcast. And, uh, until, until you listen again next week, I will remain Kyle Martinak, and I'm definitely going to go need a sandwich after this. This was, whoo, this was something this week. Hachi, hachi.